Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Kingdom Character by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that your word is living and active and that your word is nourishment for us. And so, Lord, we come with open hearts and, Lord, we ask for the work of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of our hearts, we pray in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I'd like to meet me in Matthew chapter 5. We'll kick off there in a moment. Uh, For those that were here last year, we started a series last year. It was only last Sunday, but we started a series last year on the root of the righteous, which was all about cultivating our inner life. And uh, we had a look at the life of Daniel. Now, if you have a look at the life of Daniel and you read through the book, you read about a guy who transformed the landscape of Babylon. Babylon was an enormously pagan and evil place. And it is the only recorded time in scripture that a pagan king acknowledges God and gives glory to God. And that was, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so we know uh, the story of the four kings that Daniel endured. But, but we read about a man before any of the dream interpreting, before uh, we hear about the lion's den, we read about a man that had resolved that I will not defile myself. And so last year, we looked at uh, what it means to have resolve and what the benefits of that can be in our life. And so today, uh, we're going to continue our journey uh, looking at the Beatitudes. But the interesting thing is, Jesus never uses the word attitude but it's a very important part of cultivating our inner person. Remember when I was in the forestry, uh, I had, uh, every year I would have to start a brand new crew. We only ever had about four or five guys. And at the start of a season, you'd have to start a whole new crew. And at the same time, they would give you uh, the rundown of all the property you had to plant. So it could be, often it was something like a couple of thousand hectares and you would hire a crew and I would go around each and every one of the blocks and I would find the absolute worst block on my schedule and I would start a brand new crew every year on the worst block. Everybody's, everybody's looking at me with looks like, how could you possibly do that? That's exactly what everybody said. How could you possibly do that? What I found was uh, by the time we had finished that block, the guys that were left were the guys that I could rely on for the rest of the year. Um, the, the, I think I hold the world record. I think I've had one guy resign in 25 minutes. I think that's the world record. I don't think anybody's ever beaten that. He, he was a backpacker from England, and uh, he was all gung-ho, and he went up the hill and back down the hill, took off his gear and said, Adios amigo, I'm out of here. Uh, but uh, I would hire 15 guys to be left with about seven or eight. And what I found was interesting. Uh, you'd be surprised to know that physical ability didn't differentiate these guys. It wasn't down to how strong they were. It wasn't down to how fit they were. And it wasn't even down to past experience. One year I made the mistake of hiring three guys that used to work on another crew. And the first day they turned up, it rained, and they went home a couple of hours later because they didn't want to work in the rain. So past experience didn't help. Physical ability didn't help. The defining difference was attitude. Sir Winston Churchill, uh, not the most spiritual man in history, but also not the most unspiritual. Sir Winston Churchill says, attitude is not everything, but it makes the difference. And for the guys on the forestry group, you know what? Attitude wasn't everything, but it made the difference. 
All that was different was these guys would just keep going. And same in our own Christian walk. Attitude is not everything, but it makes the difference. Uh, we may have heard the saying uh, that your attitude determines your altitude. That's a great saying. Uh, uh, and it's uh, very, very true in many ways how we approach with an attitude. So how can we uh, cultivate our inner life and what does that even look like? We'll, we'll get to more of the how-to when we're finished, but, but what did Jesus mean as we approach the Beatitudes? What did Jesus mean by the Beatitudes? That's a name that people have put there. Uh, Jesus is talking about the characteristics of kingdom citizens. Jesus is now going to speak. He begins his Sermon on the Mount. And I love the word be because this is not another to-do list. This is not another moral code. This is not about what we go home and what we do, but Jesus was teaching us about who we should be. This is about character. Uh, For those that have read the book of Daniel, you'll know in chapter 6, speaking about the lion's den, what happened there was that there were some others that tried to get Daniel in trouble. So they determined that they were going to set out to find something to complain or something that he was doing wrong and they couldn't find anything. They had to make it up. That's good character. You might have, uh, for those that were here last year, we worked through the very, this is one of the greatest short stories ever written. It's the short story of Ruth. Uh, Now, for those who know the story of Ruth, uh, she goes into a foreign land after a famine. She goes into a foreign land with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And while they are there, Naomi's husband dies and her two sons, which means they are all widows now. And customarily, you would go back, if you were the daughter-in-law, you would go back to your family so that your family could look after you. But Naomi Naomi says, you know what, I'm going to go with you wherever you go, Naomi. There's a really, really powerful verse. By the time Ruth meets Boaz, she doesn't have to introduce herself. Boaz says, I have heard of who you are. Your character precedes you. Often we get character and reputation around the wrong way. Often we try to enhance our reputation. Often we are focused on what everybody else thinks about us. But the reality is, if you focus on enhancing your reputation, you often destroy your character. But if you often focus on the inner character, your reputation will go before you. So what kind of reputation, what kind of character is it that Christ demands of us. There may be a surprise. Let's start at verse 1 of chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, which was customary for a rabbi to do, or a teacher to do, when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. We will get to poor in spirit in a moment, but there is a word that is repeated throughout these beatitudes, or throughout these kingdom characteristics. It's called the word Blessed. If you have a look at what that means, uh, maybe if I asked you today, uh, describe what God's blessing looks like. You may list off physical goods or possessions that you have. You, you might say it's family and it's friends and all those things are wonderful blessings that God gives us. But this word blessed here means to be happy. Today, uh, as we work our way through, uh, I want everybody here to know God wants you to be happy. And God also wants you to be satisfied. I think it was the Rolling Stones that said nobody can get any satisfaction. And Keith Richards is a living testimony. (laughs) 
for anybody that's watched a documentary on Keith Richards' life. He says, uh, I'm a living testimony that drugs don't kill you, no, but they will shrivel you up and make you look like a dry sultana. <laughs> but what did Jesus mean about happiness? Because the world sometimes has a distorted view of what happiness really looks like. Or maybe what that is. We're all under the pursuit of happiness. Anybody ever watched that movie with Will Smith? Uh, I think it was based on a true story, The Pursuit of Happiness. But how he defined happiness was, if I have this job, if I have this social standing, once I get all of that, then I'll have all the happiness. The story of Hollywood is this. Uh, Jim Carrey, which I wouldn't quite to be a, a spiritual man, but Jim Carrey says, I hope everybody gets all the fame and money they want because when you do, you'll realise that it's not the happiness you were looking for. The false summits. They're empty wells. Here's how Jesus would define a blessing is an inner satisfaction and sufficiency that is not dependent on outward circumstances. That's biblical happiness. Uh, biblical happiness is having our inner life rightly aligned. When you're in tune with God and you're rightly aligned, how many people know I'm in my happy place? Happiness is defined by being close to God. So Jesus is now going to teach us what true happiness looks like. And we will see, uh, if anybody knows any of the Rolling Stones, what satisfaction actually looks like. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And already we come across what appears to be an oxymoron, right? An oxymoron is something that appears to contradict itself. Hang on a second. You're telling us how to be happy, Jesus, and we have to be poor in spirit. But this is really important, and it's no accident that Jesus has put this first. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your spiritual bankruptcy. And we're going to get to why it's really important in a moment, but we need to define what it is. It is, it is a place where we recognise I am completely and utterly spiritually bankrupt, which is really good news when you arrive at that place, because then you're in a position for Jesus to come and wipe out your debt and fill your account for you. What a glorious offer the gospel is. The, uh, the glorious offer of the gospel is I will take all of your debt, all of your shame and all of your sin and I will give you my righteousness and put that into your account. Isn't that amazing? What an offer. But you can't receive that offer until you reach the place of recognising, hang on a second, I've got no money in the account. Every male that's married in the room just went, uh huh, mm hmm, I hear what you're saying, Pastor. <laughs> we just passed the Boxing Day sales, so everybody's hearing what I'm saying. But, but spiritual bankruptcy, the Pharisees were the opposite of this. The Pharisees were thinking, you know what, we've got our own currency, we've developed our own currency, we, we will just follow a heap of rules, we'll, we'll, Port some regulations, we'll wear some fancy clothes, we'll exploit everybody, and apparently that's the kind of currency that applies in heaven. Jesus uh, points his finger to their heart and says, you don't have any currency. That currency isn't for us in heaven. And, and sometimes we can best understand what Jesus is trying to teach us by looking at the negative. Uh, for those that may have read the book of Revelation, no S on the end, one revelation, but the book of Revelation was written to seven churches. 
One of those churches was the church of Laodicea. Most of us have heard of the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was the lukewarm church, but it was a rich place. You see, Laodicea was located on one of the most foremost and formidable trading routes. It was very wealthy. It was known for its purple cloth. And, and I drive a purple car, but that doesn't mean it's worth any more money, apparently. But in the first century, purple cloth was enormously valuable. They were known for their eye salve, which if you read through the uh, letter to Laodicea, uh, Jesus says to buy robes from him, not the garments that you produce. And So they were an enormously prosperous place. And Jesus comes to them and says in verse 20, I'm standing at the door knocking, but I can't get in. I want to come in. I want to have a deeper relationship with you. I want to have deeper intimate and fellowship with you, but I can't get in. He tells them, your works are good. I see all your works and I see what you're doing, but there's a problem. There's a problem why I'm on the deck and I can't get in. And the reason is you think you're wealthy. You think you've laid up goods. And Jesus says, however, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. The problem that Laodicea had, they couldn't see it. They couldn't recognize I'm poor in spirit. The minute they recognize I'm poor in spirit, it opens the door. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because it positions us and opens us up to receive what God has for us. Wow. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. This sounds like another oxymoron. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The book of Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to to a funeral or to the house of mourning than it is to go to a party. Why? Because when you're sitting in a funeral, you'll take stock of your life and the brevity of life. Often we try to avoid mourning. If you're a male, we definitely try to avoid mourning. Apparently it's, it's not cool to cry, but, but the mourning that Jesus is speaking about here is a deep inward brokenness inside over our sin and our sinful condition. It's spiritual brokenness. It's a contrite heart. It's a recognition of the gravity of sin in the sight of God and the cost, the cost that Christ paid to bring that. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, where is the weeping over sin in churches today? This is a great challenge to me when I read through these as we walk into 2024. Uh, if I could ask you a question, two kings from the Old Testament, uh, King Saul and King David. What is the difference between King Saul and King David? People will say, well, King Saul disobeyed God. So did David. People say, well, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, King Saul was very sinful. So was David. The difference between King Saul is after King Saul disobeyed God, he's dancing with joy to show off to the prophet. But when David disobeyed God, he was in the temple weeping. He writes Psalms like, Creating me a clean heart, O God. Create is to bring into existence from nothing. Here's what David's saying. There is no good in my heart. I need you to completely remake, recreate my heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. God inhabits a macrocosm of the universe. For those that read the pastor's comments this morning, God is everywhere in the universe, yes, but he inhabits the microcosm of a contrite and broken heart. David knew the presence of God, but he knew what it was to go to the temple and weep over his sin. 
Blessed are those who are poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The comfort that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Often we uh, misunderstand the word that Jesus uses here for meek and the reason is it's enormously difficult to translate the Greek word into one English word. So they've used the word meek, we might use the word gentle, we might use the word humble, but that is still not sufficient enough. The best way to understand meekness, and it's often misunderstood, is it is strength or power under control. Jesus exhibited meekness when he was on the cross and all throughout his life. Here they are, uh, Garden of Gethsemane is one example. They come to arrest Jesus and he says, right now I could call on 12 legions of angels. And you would have to go to the bathroom and change your underwear, but he doesn't do that. The best analogy, I think I've shared this with the men, this is a true story. best analogy that may help us to understand truly what meekness looks like was a a case from the early uh, 1960s, 1970s, where we have three white gentlemen on a bus. They are young guys looking for trouble. And as the bus pulls up, an African-American gentleman steps onto the bus and he walks his all the way to the back and takes a comfortable seat on the back row. The whole trip, these three young white guys taunt this African-American gentleman. They call him names and racial slurs like you wouldn't believe. He doesn't say a word. Does not even look them in the eye. After a very, very long trip, uh, this African-American gentleman stands up at his stop and as he walks past the three white gentlemen, he gently hands them each a business card. He gets off the bus, the bus pulls away, they look at the business card and on the back is the business card of Smoking Joe Fraser. (laughs) He could have painted the inside of the bus with those three guys. He could have repainted it white. Didn't say a word. Meekness is the lion that doesn't have to roar. You know he's the king of the jungle. So meekness looks like we don't need to get revenge. Meekness might look like we don't have to exercise apparently our rights or privileges, but instead what we do is we trust God to take care of it. Here's what uh, First Peter says. Anybody been wronged? Don't put your hands up. This could be a big show. And if you do put your hand up, you're only allowed to put one up at a time. Anybody here ever been wronged by anybody else? And everybody says, what a silly question, Pastor. But of course we have. But here's what meekness does. Meekness says, you know what? I'm going to let God take care of this situation. The, the first, epistle of First Peter chapter 4 says, suffer entrusting yourself to a God who will take care of of you, entrusting yourself to him. So we have poor in spirit and we have those who mourn and we have blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those, this one's really, really, really important. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. We live in a culture today that is spiralling out of control, looking for inner satisfaction. And they're trying to fill that satisfaction with the things of the world. Maybe it's, maybe it's social affluence. Maybe it's your Facebook friends. Maybe it's how much money you got in the bank. All of those things that the world is chasing after for satisfaction. Jesus says, find something else to drive your life. Whatever you hunger for and whatever you thirst for is an inner thirst and an inner hunger that drives your outer life. You are hungry. 
Francis Schaeffer, one of the last century's greatest philosophers, Francis Schaeffer says, everybody is deeply hungry. That's why Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst, and this hunger, being satisfied, has a prerequisite that you're hungry first. I often get asked this question, and the answer can sometimes be more ambiguous than this, but many people ask me the question, and you've just come back from Kenya? <laughs> Might have been the hair, darling. <laughs> Could they not do that with your hair, Ross? But the beard, the beard. <laughs> uh, but people have often said, you know, in developing countries, they see, God seems to work more powerfully. What is the difference? They're more hungry. They're more hungry. Here in Western culture, far too much, we're too full of everything else. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst, a, a hunger and thirst that drives your inner life and it completely and utterly consumes you. It's the kind of thirst that David spoke about when he says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. What is David saying? Is David speaking about a moment when the deer just said, I might toddle down to the lake and have a drink? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about such an intense thirst in that deer that every fibre of that animal is, I must drink. I must have water. Everything else is set aside. No thoughts for food or anything else. We're going to make out what that's the kind of thirst that David's talking about. It's the kind of hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about. What do you hunger and thirst for the most? You can have as much of Jesus today as you want, which is an enormous challenge to us all. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. Blessed are... The merciful. Why? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What's the best way to describe mercy? Mercy is love in action. Mercy is a recognition of somebody else's need and also your resources to meet that need and its action. It's not just talking about it. Mercy is not merely, sometimes the best thing we can do to help somebody is to pray for them, but it's not just merely to pray for them, but it is rather uh, to, I can see that need, I will meet that need. It's walking through the fires of life with people. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those that show mercy. But that's a big word uh, when it comes to love. Love is a big word. It's only got four letters, but it's, it's a big word. It's hard to put in action. We'll talk a little bit more about it as we work our way through these kingdom characteristics. But uh, love, uh, what I love about the gospel is when we look at particularly Western corporate culture, what we see is social standings and ladders, right? We kind of see, you know, here's, here's somebody in charge and then there's somebody there and, and we kind of, this person's better than that person. In the gospel, it doesn't matter what you do or who, where you've come from. Everybody's flat. Now, people might say, well, we have leaders in the church. We do. They just have different responsibilities. They're not better than anybody else. The gospel is flat. Here's what James says. James says, when the rich people come into your congregation and you give them the priority, the most spiritual people sit at the front, Sonia. Um, I, I found that the most spiritual people sit at the front. But what James was attacking was, you know what, you show prestige and you show honour 
to people according to the size of their bank account or the clothes they wear. You give them the places of honour in the church. James says it shouldn't be like that. Now, when you come to the rock, you can sit in any seat you like, but not Robin's seat. <laughs> Let's start the year off properly, shall we, Robin? <laughs> That's what I love about the gospel. The gospel says all have sinned and fall short of God. That's every single one of us in this room. We're not better than the others. We keep going on. I love this one. This is, this is summing up. I don't think we're ever going to get away from this as we work our way through this small series, but this is summing up what we were talking about last week. Uh, here it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Wow. What did Jesus mean by see? But what did Jesus mean by pure in heart? Does that mean I've got to attain some level of holiness? You'll be pleased to know you don't have to. Jesus already has. Jesus has already obtained holiness because you can't. We are broken people. We are sinful people. Do we need to morally walk upright? Yes. Do we seek to be separate? Because that's what the word holy means. The whole word holy means to be separate. It means to be distinguished from. It, it, when we say God is holy, 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 he is other than. And so holiness is about a separation, which is a, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. But the word pure in heart here speaks more about being unmixed or undivided, which is what we were talking about last week. It's the opposite of what James references as the double-minded or double-souled man. This is to be pure in heart, is to be single without any way. This is to be, Jesus says that the road to destruction is like an eight-lane highway that has many exits. The enemy wants everybody to be busy on off-ramps and exits. The narrow road that leads to life has no exits. It's, I'm heading this way. Best way we might understand this, a couple of examples we might use. In uh, aeronautical terms, they have a term called the point of no return. The point of no return, if you're flying in an aeroplane, is the point where you now only have enough fuel to reach your destination. You don't have enough fuel to go back to where you came from. You have to make it to that destination. That's called the point of no return. Uh, the reason so many, I believe, the reason so many Christians never reach the destinations God has for them is we never get past the point of no return. We never get to the point where we say to God, you know what, I'm in, boots and all, uh, whatever happens here, uh, it looks a little bit like Abraham. God called him, where are we going? I'll tell you later. But Abraham says, I'm in. There's a, uh, I think it was the year 1519, I preached a sermon on this some years ago, 1519, a, a Spanish conqueror by the name of Hernandez uh, comes to conquer, uh, I think it was, he, uh, the Aztec campaign. And when he arrives on the shores, he's vastly outnumbered for a start, but all of his troops, all of his warriors are massively fatigued from long battles and long campaigns. And so they reach the shores and he does something amazing. He burns all the boats, which became actually kind of a military tactic in some respects. Some people have used it as a military tactic. And he burnt the boats and he says to all of his men, we will conquer or be killed. We're not going home. I pray that 2024 would be the year that each and every one of us, I need to as well in many ways, where we will burn the boats and say, Lord, I'm not going back. 
I'm either going to reach the destination you have for me, but I'm not going back. We're going to burn the boats. We're going to remove the back doors. We're going to... How's everybody going with their New Year's resolutions? Yeah, talk to you. To, to, ask me later, Pastor. <laughs> ask me next year. Yeah, good point. Uh, but uh, this is a... This is a... This is a singleness. The greatest blessing in your life could be the moment you say, you know what? I'm going to forget everything else and I'm going to make up my mind to follow Christ, whatever that may cost me. And if if you read through the Bible, you will find the account of men and women who said, I'm going to follow Christ no matter what, and have a look at what God did in their lives. Daniel was one of those guys. Daniel made up his mind, I'm going to live for God, and look what happened to Babylon. It's time to go past the point of no return. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many people say, that's me this year, I want to, I want to see more of God. What does Jesus mean by that? It's an inner perception. Uh, I remember, many pe- most people here know that I fly fish, but a lot of people ask me, why would you bother? Can I, can I just say that fly fishing can be enormously frustrating? Uh, I've had fish in Tasmania come up and nose my fly and then just swim away. And if you had a gun, you'd shoot it, right? It was like, what is going on? It can be enormously frustrating. And, and I can, I've had other people say to me, you know what? I want to try fly fishing. You can't try fly fishing. I remember there's a point, uh, Ruben's not here, so um, he doesn't catch fish. He's in Tasmania fishing, actually, so the fish are pretty safe down there. Um, <laughs> but, but Ruben used to come fishing with me all the time, and uh, he would, you know, he'd do a bit, little bit of spin fishing, and he'd do a little bit of fly fishing, and he'd say, you know, Dad, I can never catch a fish on the fly. And, and I said, listen, you've got to put the spinning rod and everything else away and just fish for the fly rod. He did that for six months, didn't catch a fish. Nothing's changed, right? But... <laughs> But what I said to him was, I said, I can't explain it in words. I haven't got English words to explain it to you, but when you catch a fish for the first time on a fly, you'll go, ah, yeah, right. And you know, sometimes that's like Christ in our lives. There's so many people that go, why Why do you go to church? Why do you believe all that? And I would say to them, you know what? It's hard for me to put it in words, but when you decide that you're going to live for Christ and accept Christ, you'll go, Ah, there's an inner perception. Job put it like this. uh, I love this verse. Job 42 verse 5, where Job says, Up until now I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Something had transacted on the inside. Friends, I, I would encourage you this year to burn the boats single-minded, and watch what God does in your life in 2024. I'm excited for what that means for the Rock Christian Church. We've got a lot coming up this year, and I'm excited for what that means for us, but I'm excited for what that means for everybody in this room. Let's keep moving on. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I need to uh, outline something here. Uh, I've, I've researched the Greek, and it's absolutely correct. Peace is spelt P-E-A-C-E, not P-I-E-C-E. We're not making pieces of people, we're making peace with people. Blessed are the peacemakers. But what does that look like? What is Jesus talking about here? A peacemaker, uh, the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about is not merely the absence of conflict or war, and it's certainly not embracing an uneasy treaty. You know, where you're just kind of uh, making peace with someone that Jesus means here isn't like, 
Yeah, sorry. And that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. It's not the kind of, I love Ross, but. If there's a but after that, this is a kind of turning towards somebody and embracing them. And what I love about this term, peacemaker, is it's not talking about the other person, it's talking about you. How many of us, uh, parents in the room, how many of us, when we say, uh, this still happens now, and and my boys are apparently entering adulthood, whatever that's supposed to mean, but even now, when you confront them over something, they immediately turn to the brother next to them. Yeah, but you don't know what he did. I'm not talking about him. He's got blood coming out of him. We've rang an ambulance. We're going to sort that out in a moment. Uh, for anybody that's concerned, if you see any unrest with my boys, only ring the ambulance when there's blood and one's on the floor. Other than that, they'll sort it out. But that's not the kind of peace. What Jesus is saying is, what are you doing to make peace? This isn't about the other person. And this isn't merely just, yeah, I'm sorry, let's move on. This is embracing somebody, but it's more than that. We are first and foremost called to be peacemakers between man and God. Reconciliation between man and God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to move through these last verses reasonably smoothly. Blessed are those. uh, Here's how to know when you're on the right track. Here's how to know when your character is beginning to shine out because you will begin to be persecuted. You know, I find it very amazing. We should stand up for Christian and biblical values, but I find something very amazing. Whenever somebody in Australia loses their job because they speak out about Christianity or, or somebody puts something on Facebook and, or a Bible verse and, and they're attacked over it, we're like in horror and shock. Why are you surprised? Jesus says, if they hated you, know that they hated me first. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will rub people the wrong way. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love the last part. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, says Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You are sowing eternal seeds. You will. God is no man's debtor. So so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, This morning, uh, as we finish, uh, we might be asking ourselves the question, you know what, you haven't given us a to-do list, Pastor. We need the ABCs and the 123s, and there is no ABC, and there is no 123, you'll be pleased to know. But you say, well, you know what, this year I've determined I want to resemble the characteristics of kingdom citizens. What does that look like? I want to read you a verse, and then I'll I'll explain what I mean. In the book of Acts, something, chapter 4, something amazing happens. Uh, Peter and John are going up to the temple and there's a lame man this is a sermon for another day but there's a lame man on the steps of the temple and, uh, and Peter says look gold or silver I do not have but what I do have in the name of Jesus rise up and walk and that man walks and then afterwards 
All of the religious leaders want to know how this happened and they start interrogating these guys and questioning these guys. And verse 13 of chapter 4, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? They recognised that they had been with Jesus. You will become more like Christ the more you spend time with Christ. It's not some deep, dark spiritual secret. I remember when I I was born again in the Salvation Army. I love a lot of the work they do. And uh, I remember when I was at the Salvation Army, we had a retired science teacher, a real kooky guy with a weird hair. And I've got to tell you, I learned more about science in church than I did in school at that time because this guy used to do the wonder. But we charged this guy, Grant, to do the kids. They used to have kids come out and he'd do the kids talk every week. And he'd have these weird and wonderful (laughs) experiments. We never knew whether he was going to blow the place up or what, but we didn't care. We're off to glory. But I can remember one, he came out and he had a magnet and he had two nails. And he got the two nails and he rubbed the two nails together and nothing happened. And then he got the magnet and he could pick up each of the nails with the magnet. But then he got one of the nails and he just, while he was talking, he was just rubbing one nail up and down, up and down, up and down. Then he took that nail off and he picked up the other nail. Now, I didn't even know you could do this. Most people are saying that's pretty common science, Pastor. Um, What was I doing in school? That's a sermon and a series of confessions that I don't have prepared prepared today. Just pray for teachers, this is all I've got to say. Um, but, But the lesson is, the more that nail spent time with the magnet, the more magnetism it had. The more time you devote to spending time with Christ, the more Christ you will have. Jesus came to transform the world and this is how he does it. One by one by one, living the character of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this year I pray that in increasing measures we would live our lives at the feet of Christ, beholding Jesus, becoming more and more like your wonderful son, Father. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to cultivate the strong root of righteousness in each one of our lives. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray for his help in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.